Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. So what do you really think? Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here, checking out the series. Ah, you know what to do. You like what you see, what you hear. Hit that subscribe button. I put out three new interviews every single week, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones at all the usual spots like iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, WFPK.org, or YouTube. For the video versions. I'm Kyle Mayer. Today, once again, talking with Maya Hawk. We get to catch up about her new record, Moss. It's her second album and finds her taking some inspiration from Taylor Swift's folklore and discovering her confidence, curiosity, and rebellion. Uh, Maya's going to discuss shaking off her old self within the lyrics and how uh, the song Therese spotlights how the male gaze affects growing up as a young woman and the symbolism in the artwork about creating multiple versions of herself. Uh, Maya's also going to draw the parallels between her real self and Robin Buckley, who, of course, she portrays in Stranger Things as a character who she says is like a cartoon version of me, uh, that she would like Phoebe Bridgers. So let's jump into it. We're talking about the album Moss. It's Kyle Meredith with Maya Hawk. Hello again. Good to see you. Good to see you. You're back with a, a new record. The last time we talked, you had just done your last album, and here we are once again. I think the last time I might have over complimented you on your lyrics, and I think I, I now have to overdo that because your lyrics and poetry on this record is completely off the charts good. It's so good. Oh, you're so nice. I'm so you've heard the whole thing. I've heard the whole thing. Yeah, I, I started listening last night, and and I'm still digesting because it's it's not a superficial record, and I mean that with every compliment too. This is such a great album. That is, I mean, I. It's so cool because you're like, no one's heard the records. Like, that's kind of, you're like the first person I've really heard say that to me. And I, that's so exciting. I'm so glad you like it. I mean, maybe you'll be the last, but I'm, it's still, it's still good to hear. It's so nice of you. I, I wonder, do you ever have people in your podcast and tell them, well, you've done a shit job. I mean, this really, it's an embarrassment. What do you have to say for yourself? So like, I will take it with a grain of salt, but, but I appreciate it anyway. Yeah, I was talking to an artist uh, just the other day where he said he didn't like compliments. So that's how we ended. I said, you know what? You can do better. 
And, uh, you know, next time, you know, try a little bit harder. So great. Well, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. actually love compliments. <laughs> so, I will keep them coming. I will. Yeah. So, so, so let's hear about this one too. Um, not only is it, is it really great lyrically and I, I do want to get to that, but also the sound of it and the way the songs thread in with each other, uh, blend it in. I mean, you have these musical suites, it feels like, like, where did you want the sound of this album to go? So I guess I really wanted the, we didn't, when we recorded the record, we basically didn't have a drummer. Um, our, our sound um, engineer, who's a producer in his own right, and a drummer, and I don't know how he ended up being the sound engineer, Marshall Vore, um, like played drums on a couple tracks and built some beats. But like really, it was Christian, Will, Ben and I, and we kind of wanted it to have, or I, this is like, Ben really produced it, but one of the things I said to him when we were starting out was I want, it to have a pulse, not a beat. Um, and I like showed him some examples that he eventually explained to me were called side chains, um, which I had no idea. And of like places where like sound gets sort of sucked out and that's where, and that you have the beat because of the absence of sound. Um, and like, and Christian does incredible um, like ability to like finger pick and play rhythm guitar at the same time. Will Grave has such an amazing heavy thumb, like, and he also has the lightest touch ever, but he also can really hammer on those. Um, so I really wanted the, the, the beat of the record to come from this kind of pulse, pulsing guitar feeling and, and of Christian and Will who are both such incredible guitar players playing together and doubling each other live. That was something I was really excited about for the sound of the record. I was really excited for it to have a cohesive sound uh, like, for example, Ben and I made sure that every sound we used in the record, we used three times. Maybe we broke that rule, but for the most part, we really tried not to break the rule. Like if we introduced, uh, there was one point where I introduced like this weird, um, like, or I did, I was like, oh, I want to go into the bathroom with the microphone and do background vocals in the bathroom. And it was, he was like, okay, but then we have to do it three times. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and there's like, um, you know, one place where we were like, oh, look at this like weird plastic guitar with these kind of loose strings. Like maybe we should do this. It's like, okay, then we have to do that three times. Um, what a funny so, rule to um, set for yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. It was awesome. And, but it was to give this record this cohesive feeling. And then, and then the other thing I wanted other than the sort of pulse without a beat was smooth, but not soft. And like, which is this sound that like, I was, I was super inspired by um, folklore uh, and in uh, like to the point to which like, I started wanting to work with Jonathan Lowe who mixed folklore and who ended up mixing and, um, this record um, as well as the single that I released a little while ago um, because especially for mixing like this ability to have, have it feel smooth. Like the idea that you could both run to it and fall asleep to it on an airplane is like how I feel about folklore um, and like what's so amazing about that record. And I don't necessarily know that we achieved it, but I aspired to achieve that with this record. Was that, was that kind of that combination of it being both motivating and moving forward without it being like, like, like the way some pop music that I love, like you, it wakes you up from your nap when it comes up on the playlist, you know? And I didn't want anything to like wake you up in that way. I wanted it all to feel like it could be a part of a dream. Yeah, listening to it, you know, there was those moments. I, I didn't know, of course, about the, the the way the songs kind of worked with each other. So, you know, at certain points, the first listen, I'm like, wait a second, are we in a different song? We're in a different song now. And 
my my favorite albums like i i love the rock opera you know and i, I love when it it really feels like a cohesive kind of deal so so once i once i started noticing that i was even more hooked with in this well and there are, there are lyrics that come back throughout the record too like there are there are there are lyrics that you know are are the chorus in one song that are a random line in another song and the outro and one that are the intro of the other so there's a lot of that stuff yeah, I started what blue did blue pop up a few times. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was noticing that too. So that that's that's so interesting. So you know when you've got the record working like that, and I guess I'm going further into what you were saying there. Did that change how you were working on it lyrically, or was that something you noticed afterward? Well, the whole record, really this this record happened as kind of like an emergency, where like really there were three songs. There was Terrest, Mermaid Bar, and Bloomed Into Blue that I had all written with Benjamin Lazar Davis, where I basically like taken poems that I'd written that I was like, oh, this is just a poem. This could never be a song. It's too, like, it's too weird. It's too crazy. Um, and I, but Ben's such a magical, strange guy and is so rhythmic. And, um, and those poems were all kind of written in some version of like a, like an iambic pentameter or, um, like pandemic tetrameter, like where, where the beat was really clear. Um, and um, and like there were the same amount of syllables in each line and the rhyme scheme was really clear. Um, and there were internal rhyme and like, it was really like a lot about how, how the sounds work together as much as it was about the meaning of the feeling. And Ben, that felt really right for Ben to me. And so we had those three songs and then I had a movie fall apart, which happens all the time. And all of a sudden, instead of three days to record three songs, I had two weeks. And we were sort of like, should we make an album? And Ben was like, yeah. And then he got in touch with Christian and sent Christian some of some lyrics I'd sent Ben that Ben didn't think were right for Ben. And um, and then and Christian started writing songs and and then I, but like Will Grafe is kind of my best friend and um, we just started hanging out and and he's always not wanted to really write music with me because he was always really stressed out by the lyrics first approach. And I've always been really stressed out by the music first, first approach. Like we both, I think, feel, conf feel, feel confined by the other way. But then we started writing together where we just did it all at the same time, where we were like sitting in a room and he would kind of play something I hadn't heard before and keep kind of riffing on an improvisation. And I would improvise lyrics over it. And like most of them would be bad and just kind of scat like, and then some of them would be good. And, and so all the songs were written in different ways. Um, but they kind of came, I, I know the, your question, I'm circling back to it, but they came together as kind of like in this flash of a month where, um, and we, so we were still writing when we were recording and it would be like, oh, hey, at the end of Crazy Kid, like, why don't we do a reprise of um, like, like we should add another harmony into this outro of like, you glow in the dark, you can take me apart. And like, oh wait, why don't we give him a reprise of South Elroy there? Cause that'd be a cool harmony. Like, it happened really pretty naturally. Yeah, in, in those moments, I mean, South Elroy, God, that's so far right now. That's my favorite one. It's it's Ooh. like that's to me like that's a radio hit right there. You know, it's it's it's. Hey. A, I mean, you got this line, and again, I, there's so many lines. I think I'm I'm still trying to absorb, but the one that stood out right there is what you said. Oh my God, I got to slow down. Yeah. And and hearing what you have talked about with this record so far you know, I, I think I'm paraphrasing some things you said about, uh, you know, uh, things that carry you forward that show you the next place to go. 
you know, meditation and rebirth. And I hear that line right there and, uh, oh my God, I got to slow down. And I, I don't, I'm probably taking it out of context maybe to, to a certain degree, but, but what was, what was the forward that you were trying to get to? What, what is the rebirth uh, in, in this album? I think that like a lot of the things that I've been talking about with this record are things that happened after the record was made where like certain amounts of like feelings I've been having and like I've been like like confidence that's been building and curiosity and like um and feelings of rebellion and um are like but what the record felt like to me I can like demarcate versions of myself from when before I made this record and after like it was a break and sometimes there are those magical moments where like people come together and everyone needs to make something for different reasons like everyone has and then like but everyone has a real need versus sort of like this is what we do we make music or this is what we do we make movies but sometimes you get this thing where everyone goes in they're like I actually need to make this record right now and you're like, oh, wow, great. Um, and I think most of us or all of us had that feeling. Um, and, and for me, I think I was really using the record. I, I was shaking off an old self and old ways of being and old habits that were dying really hard. Um, and, uh, and, and being like, wait, maybe I don't have to be the person that I've been trying really hard to be. Maybe there are other options, um, but the other options didn't really start coming into play until after the record was done. And really the record was like about like, oh wow, the version of myself that I am right now, I hate. Like, I don't, like, 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 let's like, can we kill that person off please? Like, 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 and, and there are songs in there like, like Mermaid Bar is sort of about like, like, killing off an old version of yourself to build a new one over is about killing off a version of yourself to build a new one bloomed into blue is about that um so like in, in a very direct way like there's there's like deaths or almost deaths in all of those songs um and then other ones are about it in different ways and i think so elroy is one of my favorite songs and one of the ones i'm most embarrassed by because it was that's one of the ones that like i i had the most to do with the music of it i think i sent will like a like a really sad slow version of that song um and and then we worked and we built it up to this thing but there's still there's lyrics in that song i'm so embarrassed by like i was so angry when i was writing that song and i often think that one's best work like doesn't come from a place of being anger angry and even when we were recording it i was embarrassed by some of the feelings in it um and I was like god I hate this I hate living in these feelings um and then I was sitting in the like like walking down the street going to get at coffees and I was like and I started humming that melody of the oh my god I gotta slow down now and I was like hey Christian is this good like do, do we like this do we need to write a whole new song with this or like he was like no 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 just tack it on to the end and I was like oh okay um, and then I attached it onto the end and just sang it. And then Ben built that beautiful thing with all those harmonies coming in around it. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, absolutely. And, uh, and, and that's so interesting. That one being one you're embarrassed about, but yet, you know, here over here as the listener grabbing onto it instantly, you know, and, yeah. and, and I still find there's so much to discover on here and, and the killing off of yourself. That's the other thing because we get that first single, uh, Therese. Am I saying that right? I was trying yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't even know if I say it right, but you're saying it as right as I do. 
I'm sa- I want to say it like you say it at least. So that's a... you say it like I stress, <laughs> I think I say it like three different ways within the song. So I, I wouldn't stress. But, but it's it, it's interesting the way you're talking about killing off characters, and here you are sort of imposing yourself inside another character to reflect yourself this weird back and forth mirror thing that I kind of got lost in you know once once I figured out that that's what you were singing about like I went back and I uh you know it's I don't know it's 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 like a movie where it's like oh no there's there's hidden things in this scene and now you got to go back and like you know slow motion it and and try to find all the ghosts in the background or something like that but but I, I think that's such an interesting character study you know to to try to I don't really know where I'm going with this question, by the way. I'm, I'm getting lost in it myself. But but is there a sense, I guess, of trying to, you're talking about killing off another version of you to use these other characters within the song as a way to get away from yourself? No, um, I, I think I think maybe no. I mean, yes, and I mean, get, get away from yourself. I think I would more say get closer to yourself. Um, and like, I think that, you know, like what I really mean to do with Therese is that like, um, and, and I'm very happy for anyone to interpret it however they want to, um, but it's really about like two things to me, that song. Um, one is about like kind of the male gaze um, and both like the way that the male gaze affects art, but even more the, male, the way that male gaze affects growing up as a young woman. Um, and like the way that your body that isn't even sexual to you yet can get sexualized and weaponized against you as you go through puberty. And like, you can be shamed, like, like all of a sudden, like, you know, your boobs grow that you don't even understand. And people are like, you've got to cover those things. And you're like, why? Like, like two months ago, I was like running around like topless at the beach. And now I'm not allowed to do that. And like, what? And like, and that's not about me. It's not like nothing, I didn't do anything. I didn't change, it's like, it's because of how it makes you feel. Like, and that, but then those narratives get so programmed into your brain. Um, and and you have to kind of like rescue as an adult woman, I think you sort of have to, or like an adult AFAB person, you sort of have to go and like rescue yourself from the narrative of, uh, that was made for you that you didn't have control over. And so I think it's sort of, about that to me and then and this girl in this painting was someone when I was a young girl just looked free to me like didn't look like I didn't think about the painter I didn't think I like it just seemed like it existed and it was like a photograph of this kind of un unencumbered like young woman who was sort of confident and relaxed and unselfconscious and and then I got older and I like people would talk about it like like, and I was like, oh my God, wait, like someone took this image of her? Like, oh, and like captioned, like, does that make it creepy? Was he being creepy? And is it like, oh no. And like this girl who to me as a young girl just looked free. Now I'm wrapped up in this whole male gaze of what the capturing of her image meant to him and is supposed to mean to me now. And like, ah, and it just reminded me of my, of ways I felt about myself, ways in which my friends and I felt about like, wait, like I'm not even being totally articulate. It's all so complicated, but, and so it's about that. And then in a positive way, it's also about like, like the speaker and Therese are both the same person and are different people to me. And it's also about like the relationships we build with, or that I I got to have 
with other like young girls at school and like like and and people in my life now where like things like gender don't matter and where you build these like little quiet rooms and these places where you're free and you're yourself and you don't feel encumbered by that gaze and how amazing those spaces are and how life-changing they are and how much aspects of society do not want you to have them and encroach upon those spaces and try to make you jealous of each other or hate each other or make you feel ashamed of like your desire or whatever like there's all these things so I guess it's a big song for me yeah and especially you know hearing the the, the lines about take it off the wall which you know as I understand really did happen because of the way it looked and and the way that sort of as I hear it uh starts speaking to what's going on of course and everything you said in the Supreme Court thing that you've been talking you know that we've all been talking about you know it it, it seems like that moment even even specifically that little moment among the many starts to say so much more in this wider context in the most unfortunate of ways but um you know, compliments on the power of arts, I guess is what I'm getting to. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know if it accomplishes any of the goals that I wanted it to. I don't know if it does anything. I, I just know that those are the places that I'm coming, that I was coming from when I was writing it and the things that it's starting to mean to me as time goes on. Um, and as I explored making a video for it and all that stuff. So thank thank you, thank, thanks. Yeah, and, and, and that and the artwork, by the way, I want to quickly hit on just because seeing the, the two versions of you, like it is, the, is that the symbolism that we're getting at with, with, with a lot of this interview? Yeah, there's definitely like double self stuff going um, within the whole record. Um, and I think that and I think that that was a part of the journey that I was on was that I kind of I created really like in so many ways. I mean, many versions of myself, but at least two and like uh, and, and would and one was like true self and one was false self. And I realized that I'd been spending a lot of time living in false self. And, and the kind of record is a journey, like trying to kill off the false self, at least. Um, you, you always, of course, you always have to be like, I mean, I can't be 100, like 100% my true self the way that I am, like with my family in this interview, but I feel a lot closer to that person than I used to. Um, and, I, and, I, and, and I think I was, I was my false self in more places that the, that the false self doesn't belong. Um, like in more of my intimate relationships and more things than I knew when I was, I really wanted to stop doing that. And so a lot of those songs are like trying to figure out how to kill off the false self. It's beautifully done. It really is all, all the way through. And I don't mean to use the, the word beautiful as, as this catch-all because it's also pretty record. I just mean it's so well constructed and well. I'm not afraid of beautiful. Beautiful's good. <laughs> Um, I, I know we're probably running short on time, and I want to make the obvious transition here to also Stranger Things because that's been a, such a big part. I fucking loved the the new season, <laughs> but Thanks. it's 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 interesting as we're talking about. Do you find those parallels in in what Robin's going through at the time too? Because she, this it seems to be a character that puts on the projection of, a projection of being self-assured at the same time as how much does she actually know herself? I mean, are those parallels there as well? I love that you see Robin as being self-assured. Um, I feel like most people see Robin as being like, kind of not like insecure and like, or, um, and like kind of rant, like nervous and like silly. I kind of see Robin as being self-assured too. Um, Cause she's just sort of being like, can't really help but be herself. And I think that 
and again, this kind of goes back, actually like does loop back to the record in that like, I think when I was young, like when I was a kid before puberty and like even in aspects of high school, I, I couldn't help be myself. And there were places where that was punished. Um, like, or I, I experienced it as being punished or discouraged. Um, and that's where you build the false self because you're like, whoa, people not liking my real self is really scary. Um, and like people, so I'm gonna build this like shell to protect myself. And I think that Robin is like both, is sort of in that amazing transition period of having kind of been the true self, the child self is still there. Um, she, you know, she's really young, but also has the weight of society encroaching in, kind of pressuring her to build a false self. But then the kind of both the friendship with Joe and the stakes of what's going on in their environment make it kind of impossible for that to be the center focus of her life. Like the center focus of her life is this friendship and these, like, I love that scene in the finale where Joe and Robin are talking and Robin's like, I don't care about my love life right now. Like, dude, like I, I don't, and of course she does care, but she's also like mature and is like, I've got a lot of other stuff going on. And, um, and that, and you matter to me. And like, these relationships matter to me and I'm gonna figure, and, and that's kind of the nice, thing about friendships and adventure and like is is that they can kind of take you out of the the game of society and put you into just you have to be yourself because you don't have enough energy to be anyone else and I think that's also a way that I've been feeling as like I've been working more and all this stuff is like oh wow keeping up a false persona under this schedule is just a little difficult. I'm just too tired. <laughs> That's such a real moment too. I, I mean, a real moment because, you know, in, in movies, the, uh, the world is ending. You know, I think any normal person in, in a reality moment is just going to be concerned with the person in front of them is more than sort of the, you know, uh, I agree. That's, it, it, it does make for um, a more grounded, real. The characters are so, uh, like everybody, everybody on this show dealing with their own personal coming of age crisis and it's so put together or it's put together so well in that it's a it's a magical thing that you guys are making uh and i can't wait to see where it goes and, and I, yeah and i, I quickly i, I know because music's such a big part of it too uh obviously god kate bush and everything that's happening and metallica this week as well you know, for, for I know the the general question was asked to it, a lot of you. You're like, what's what's your Vecna's song? But you know, kind of further in on that, you know, with with Robin, like where where does what's Robin listening to? Where, where's her mode of music? I mean, do you use that? And I'm I'm asking for the real you using that uh, going into the character to kind of think about her musically in that sense. You know, I've always been embarrassed that that's never really been something I did as an actor. Um, I've like sometimes directors have made me playlists and been like these are the important songs for this character I'm like great cool and sometimes and like I've never and maybe I should I've never really used that as a way in I like I yeah there are times where like there's music that um like helps me get into the mood of a scene but I never really go like 
based on eras in that way. Um, like, I, I'm not like, I, like, I feel like I do that in a sort of timeless way where I'm like, oh, this feels right for this scene, for this moment. And like, I'm gonna get my feelings in the right place. But I've never really built like a, a character through kind of a playlist or a landscape in that way. I, I probably should start. You know, it's always there. It's, <laughs> but again, if you, if, you, if you pulled it off this well, um, you're doing something right right now. So yeah, thanks. I mean, I don't like let build, me impede I your like, process. <laughs> I build like quotes and behavioral patterns and like, like um, histories um, and all the stuff, but there's something, especially with period stuff, I feel like for contemporary things, I do it more. Um, and especially if a character is really different than me, Robin is so similar to me. I mean, like, Robin's almost like a cartoon of me or something, like, that it doesn't, I don't feel like I need to, like, if I was playing Eddie, like, I would listen to tons of, like, like metal. Like, I would, like, try to get into that. But I'm playing Robin, and, like, Robin would like Phoebe Bridgers, you know? I don't know, like, Robin, like, I, I, I think, like, I, and so it's, like, whatever I'm listening to, at the moment it's not like I don't know like Robin would like the people I like I think and so it's fine is yeah. sort of how I feel. Phoebe's uh she's one of the amazing ones and uh so oh you're you're and you're doing some dates with Faye right Faye Webster. Yeah I think Robin would really like Faye. Yeah no that's gonna be fun uh I, I think you guys are playing Nashville I'm in here in Louisville I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make down for that trip to see that show so it's. Oh my god well just to warn you I'm absolutely terrified to my core I mean I'm just so nervous I can't believe how nervous I am so <laughs> you know, I no pressure. Um, <laughs> no, no pressure. Uh, you know what? I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, you, you can do better. You, you, you're, <laughs> I mean, you, you for sure will be able to tell me that after you see the live show. No, no, I believe in you. I do believe in you. And, um, seriously, just all the compliments, uh, where you've gone in stranger things. I, I think you have proven also that you're one of the actors who could, uh, who could go toe to toe on a, like an Aaron Sorkin or an Amy Sherman Palladino script at this point. Like I, I'd love to see that collaboration happen. You mean just because of my fast talking? Cause you're fast talking. Cool. Takes Thank a you. certain type of, uh, of, uh, of actor to pull that off. Moss is so good. Maya, congratulations on this. And thank you for taking the time to talk about it. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. You're an amazing interviewer. It's my honor. And I'm so excited for people to hear it. Shout out to uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky, in the Midwest, and allergies, yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies. And around here, everyone I know deals with allergies to some degree. And for a long time, I thought it was just something that I would have to live with, which is a real problem um, for anything, but especially when you're a radio host. It affects my voice, it affects my mood, it affects everything. And I feel like I've tried every, I've tried all the medicines. Some of them work better than others, but there's, there's never a perfect one out there, especially because some of them take forever to actually work and some of them don't work at all. And then there's Astapro, the fastest solution to nasal allergy symptoms. It's what I use now, and it's definitely changed my life. Astapro is the first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Uh, Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. 
with all the pollen in the air, with all the dust around the, the corners of the house, uh, even with uh, the allergies I have from my dog, Astapro has been the nasal spray that has helped me with all of my allergies. And it can help you too. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Now, Maya and I last spoke just back in, uh, in 2020 uh, when we got to talk about her debut record called Blush. Uh, this was us discussing her path to what she calls an accidental record, finding songwriting as a way to communicate with others, and working with Jesse Harris. We also got to hear about the uh, folk, rock, and jazz she heard around her house growing up, uh, the biggest differences in writing poetry versus lyrics, and the similarities, and how she approaches songwriting and acting, uh, and the importance of a great soundtrack as well. So let's, uh, let's do part two, shall we? Kyle Meredith with Maya Hawk. Hello. Well, let me compliment you first because Blush is such a great listen. You've you've called it a bit of an accidental record, though, and I, I was kind of wondering if you would tell the story about uh, why that is. It was accidental because I really... Started, I did a lot of music and wrote a lot of songs when I was a, a kid as a kind of a method of, for, to communicate with people in my life. Like I had things I wanted to express um, with my parents and teachers and, and I, I didn't really feel like I, I could do it in conversation or get my thoughts out or, or get myself heard. And, and I really struggled with reading and writing. And so songwriting and, and lyric writing became a really powerful tool at the time for me to get myself heard as a young child by the people who were controlling my life. And, uh, and I did it a lot until I was about 14 or 15. And then I stopped and I got really serious and, and into acting and devoted the majority of all my summers and my after school activities and my in school activities to that for a long time. And, uh, and it wasn't until I left drama school and um, started working in the professional sphere as an actor that I started really feeling the need to put making music back in my life. Music was always in my life as a listener that entire time period, but I felt the need to make music again. I think partly because all of a sudden I was in control of my own schedule, sort of, but my ability to do my work, to, to make my art or whatever as a person was entirely in control of the people that I was auditioning for. And I wanted to take a piece of my creativity back for myself and have some agency over a part of my life as a creative person. And so I, um, I started picking up the guitar again and I started writing, putting my poems and stuff to song again in the music. And so I had a couple songs, uh, after I finished my first job, which was, um, 
little women, which I filmed in this little town called Dunleary in Ireland. And I sent them to someone who had given me a lot of advice about my songwriting when I was a kid, Jesse Harris, who I ended up collaborating on Blush with. And he listened to them and he gave me some notes. And then when I got back to uh, New York, we worked together on the songs for a second and he taught me some new chords. And that was all really fun and great. And when it was over, I said, if you ever wanted to write a song together, I would love to. And he said, well, why don't you send me a, a, a poem and we'll, we'll go from there. And I said, okay. And so I sent him the poem of what became um, To Love a Boy, which was the first sort of single that we released together. And then we loved To Love a Boy and we recorded it and um, and we were like, okay, well, why don't we keep going? And so then we had three more songs uh, a couple months later and we we're like, oh, let's record those. Maybe we'll make an EP instead of a single. Like, okay. And we went and recorded those. And by the time we recorded those, we actually had five songs. And we're like, oh, well, why don't we make a five song EP? And then we went and recorded those two more. And then by the time we did that, we had, uh, you know, like nine songs. And then by the time we had nine songs, it was just like, okay, well, you know what? Why don't we make an album? And um, we'd already put out um, To Love a Boy and Say Open. And, and those songs that had gotten us involved with um, Mom and Pop, the record label that I'm attached to, and they wanted to put out the record. And so we were like, okay, let's finish a record. And we listened to what we had and we wrote some new stuff and we worked on everything and, and we got together a sort of 12 song bundle of the bunch of songs that we'd written that we felt really good about. And, um, and that became what is blush in a lot of ways. Speaking of, I mean, Jesse Harris, you know, what, what a, an amazing songwriter and, and producer he is having, having Jesse as a part of this, I'm, I'm sure was a, a real nice boon as it, as it sounds like, I, I, I don't, know the entire scope of his work but when i think of him you know i do think of folk and, and jazz and definitely in the music that seems to be sort of the um the centerpiece the style at least you know uh, those chords they are traditional folk chords there are those splashes of the jazz chords and everything was that something you all talked about or was that something that he sort of naturally gravitated toward well i think it's a combination of the two i mean we the way we wrote almost every song on um, Blush was I would write up a, a poem of some sort and send it to him. And he would send me back that poem accompanied to music. We have all these, these great demos of um, Jesse singing, I want to love a boy and all these other funny things, making me a demo before we went in and made our own demo together. Um, and, you know, that's sort of how it started in the beginning. And it was very cut and dry that way. I did the lyrics. And he sort of wrote these melodies and I sang them. And, and then as we've been working together now, like sometimes, you know, later in the record, there are songs where we wrote one version of it and had to write another version of it. And I, you know, I think the, the last song on the record, I, um, Mirth, I sort of sent him those lyrics and he sent me back something. And I was like, you know, when I wrote the lyrics, I was fiddling around with this like incredibly simple chord progression. What do you think about this? And I sent it to him and he loved it. And so that that's the version that ended up being on the record was the one I did in my living room with like three chords in it or whatever. Um, so or the way that we wrote together changed a lot. And often, um, you know, I think that the musical background that I grew up in was in that kind of music that Jesse also always sort of known for, which is what made our collaboration very peaceful, is we have pretty similar tastes. I grew up in American folk music and and rock and jazz, and that's sort of the backbone of the music that my father gave me, and uh, it was playing in, in my household when I was, you know, six years old and 
dancing on our leather couch. So a uh, uh, very stained leather couch that we had when we were living at the Chelsea Hotel. Um, and uh, so anyway, like there, we have lots of conversations and kind of push things in different directions. And but uh, and especially once we're actually recording the song, there's a lot of um, kind of ways that the song change and move and in terms of what exact sort of style or tone that song should have and how the music should tell the story of what the lyrics are. But initially, I think the reason that, you know, this, this, uh, the backbone of that music is in jazz and folk is because it, that's the backbone that Jesse and I share of kind of our our favorite kind of music to make. And, and, and I should point out, of course, it's not the only styles on there. I mean, Animal Enough. I mean, that's 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 I think I wrote down the phrase rollicking fun, which is I don't think ever a phrase I've said in my life. But um, but, <laughs> but it does kind of showcase something different. And and by the way, that gives me one of my favorite lines on the record. It's such a simple line. But will you say what lies behind your never mind? It's one of those really simple but really powerful lines. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, I, I do think, you know, like lots of it's a, it's a thing that people say all the time where they open their mouth to speak and then they go, oh, never mind. And there's always something behind the never mind, you know? It's, <laughs> right. it's, uh, yeah. Do you find that there are lyrics that you're particularly proud of, something that stands out to you? Gosh, um, there are songs I'm particularly proud of lyrically. Goodbye Rocket Ship is a very special song to me lyrically because I had written the, the kind of center piece of that song, which is um, You Don't Know How to Raise Me Any More Than I Know How to Grow Up when I was 14 years old. Um, and it was accompanied by a lot of other lyrics that were not good um, <laughs> but um, or that I don't like anymore. <laughs> but I took that line from that song I wrote when I was a kid and kind of adapted it into a into a sort of more sophisticated, for me at least, a more deeper understanding of my own feelings version of the same song that I written when I was younger. Um, and I guess I have some pride in my ability to kind of have gotten to know myself better over the years and have a deeper insight to the same emotions I was going through when I was 14. And so that song is a song I'm, I'm, I'm proud of lyrically, probably. It's hard for me to remember like exactly what my favorite lines are in the songs, but that's definitely a special song and a special line to me in Goodbye Rocket Ship. You know, you, you talk about musical inspirations and, and where that all comes from for you. Do you find that, especially as a poet, as a lyricist, that you, that you have uh, obvious uh, inspirations as well uh, when you look back? Like, was there anything that really pointed you to start writing in that way? Because, and, and poem writing is not the exact same thing as lyric writing. It can be translated, but that's not always easy for someone. No, I think it's definitely, it's definitely different. And I write a lot of poetry that would never be good to be a song. And um, there are a lot of songs that would never be good as poems. Um, for me, it comes from a similar place. I guess the difference is you can be a lot simpler for me, not for everybody, but you can be a lot simpler in music lyrics and, and communicate a different level of profundity because you can accompany it with your voice and your emotion and, and the music. And so a very simple phrase like, I'm sorry, or I'm tired, or, you know, whatever the, the phrase is, um, I miss you. It can be quite boring in a straight poem right off the page, but when communicated and accompanied with song and in the context of a larger piece can be very powerful. Um, so I think I strive for a, a bit more simplicity in my lyric writing than I do in my straight poetry. Um, but there, are, but my influences come in all directions. Um, there are poets that I steal from all the time that never wrote a song in their life, and um, and and also great lyricists. And so I. I definitely source and steal from from everywhere. Is coverage the obvious tie between 
your two lives between the music and the acting? It, it, it seems like that's how it comes off to me, at least. Coverage is definitely an obvious tie, which is part of the reason that I um, put it out first, was kind of to just to try to present a kind of integrated self in, in one way or another, or not first, but in the early singles. But they all, I mean, all, they all the songs come from a place of integration in me. The way I approach acting and storytelling in that sort of version of being creative and the way I approach songwriting is, is really quite similar. At least at this point, maybe I'll grow up and get more sophisticated and figure out how to make things different. But right now, it all comes from a very similar source in me. But yes, coverage is definitely a song about that. And I'd wonder also, is it coincidence, like when I look at a couple of your uh, projects, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Stranger Things, these both, to me, are very musically driven projects, uh, while they are not actually music, you know, films and, and, and shows themselves. But is that something you find yourself being pulled to when, when, you're, when you're looking at what your next acting role is going to be, that it has something musical uh, towards it? Um, well, I think I find myself being pulled to work with great people. And great people know that a lot of the time what separates a great movie from an okay movie or a great TV show from a bad TV show is a great soundtrack. And um, music is often what connects the viewer's heartstrings to the heartstrings of the character and takes people on that journey. And so rather than saying I strive to work in projects that have anything to do with music, I just strive to work with talented people, and talented people know that music is an unbelievable tool to get into storytelling. Geez, soundtracks end up being my favorite albums, you know, just about half yeah, the time on too, top of too. that. Yeah. Um, you did get to play a couple shows, I think I saw, before the pandemic and, and everything hit. Um, these weren't your first shows, though, right? I mean, you had done some before, but I was curious, like, what were no, these like? No, they were not my first shows. They were not my first shows. Um, the two shows that I played right before the pandemic, I think I played on a weekend between my first two weeks on what I thought was going to be my six months of shooting Stranger Things 4. Um, it was on that first weekend, uh, one in uh, like in Bearsville, uh and one in, no, not in Bearsville, it was in um, the Berkshires, and one at Joe's Pub. They were really special shows for me because I I never went on a big tour, but I have played a bunch of shows with my with my band. And, you know, the more you play together as a group, the more cohesive you get and the more you sing on stage live as a performer, the more you understand how you want to do that and how you want to express yourself. And um, I definitely felt like I, I fell into a rhythm of, of finally getting to walk off stage at the end of the night and be like, oh, cool, like... I did that. That went okay. I still like myself. Um, <laughs> and um, right there before the pandemic hit, I felt like I'd, I'd come into my own a little bit. So, and they were really, they were really special. I had no idea that my night at Joe's Pop was going to be my last night around any strangers uh, or people other than my family for a matter of maybe forever. Uh, but if I had to pick a last night, I probably would have picked that one. It was a very special night. And I, I saw there was also, uh, since we're sort of on that subject of what's going on globally right now, you are doing some donations to the food bank? Um, yeah, I'm donating um, a uh, big bunch of the um, proceeds from the merch to uh, the New York Food Bank, which is uh, sort of, yeah, which is a very important charity in New York City. And we're in such a time where 
people are unable to work and uh, unable to make money and feed their families and are having to make choices between paying their rent and buying food. And so seems like the right place to, to give right now. And then separately, or not separately, but in conjunction to that, the uh, portion of my album proceeds are going to go to the NAACP, um, which I, I picked because they see the connectivity between both the Black Lives Matter movement and our need for environmental change. And they kind of target and support both of those issues, which I think are pretty much two of the most important issues that we face now as a nation and, and a world. And so I, I really like them as, a, as, a, as another charity to donate to with this record because uh, those two causes are very close to my heart. Absolutely. And if everybody does, if everybody does a little, as they say, you know, that's, that's all it takes a lot of the time. So I, I appreciate that you're, you're taking that moment, taking that opportunity. Well, I think, you know, authentic activism is very important. And I by no means have been an activist all my life or been as politically educated or intelligent as I want to be and and, and know I need to be and I'm working on becoming now. And so I'm just trying to find places that and ways of, of giving and ways of being involved that feel interconnected to my life as I educate myself and, and make being an activist a larger part of my life. Uh, so things like New York, things like the environment and Black Lives Matter, those are causes that have been in my life since I was a kid and in high school. And so as I educate myself politically, I, I still want to you know start at my roots. No, it's, uh, I, I, we're all learning. We're all learning. I think every single day how to be better at this, how to be better activists in itself. So better activists, better communicators, a lot, a lot of things to learn. Uh, I'll wrap up just out of my own curiosity too. Like I know how the music world has been affected. You know, I talking with the artists, talking with the venues, talking with the labels. Does the is the film side affected in the exact same way that the music? is i mean i know we're hearing a little bit about the film world trying to figure out how to start up in that way are are you seeing that i think it's um there are similar and different complications you know in music in order to perform live you have to crowd other people into a big space around you in the film and television world you know in order to make something actors have to touch each other's faces and there's big crews and different groups and if someone gets sick the whole thing shuts down and you know, people, it, there's a lot of complications. And so I think that, you know, we're all in in the lines of work that we're all in, which involves connection and integration and intimacy. And all of those things are very difficult right now. And I think both industries, though they face slightly different challenges, um, are equally trying to examine what ways they can adapt to the situation and continue through it and what ways we just have to wait it out. Well, Maya, uh, again, I cannot compliment you enough on, on Blush. I mean, seriously, what a great record this is. Thank you for doing it. And, and thank you especially for taking the time to talk about all this today. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, these are wonderful questions. It's wonderful to talk to you. It's wonderful to be here. I'm so excited to be able to hear this record. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I guess we'll see you around when we see you and, uh, and take care out there. I hope so. I hope soon. I hope I hope a tour soon. I hope when it's safe for everybody. And um, But I have a feeling masks are going to be the new trend for a long time. Right. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. All right. Gotta wear them. Take right. care. We'll see you. Talk to you soon. And again, my thanks to Maya Hawk. The new record is called Moss. Thanks to you as well for checking out the episode. Uh, do hit that subscribe button before you get out of here. Again, uh, I do three brand new interviews every single week, a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at all the usual spots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, 
at nprwfpk.org or YouTube for the video versions. Uh, after that, do head over to wfpk.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots as well. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, mostly on Twitter. Uh, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. I thought we did awesome. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.